Well, welcome everyone. We are passionate at Church Alive, helping people fulfill God's potential for their lives. And that means developing, building, coaching, inspiring leaders. And so I hope you'll have a leaning factor that today you can grow. Today you can take on a new mentality, a new mindset. And as you allow God to prune you, lift you, other people to inspire you, learn from you, you can become all that God has destined you to become. Well, we're in week three of Shades. And the title of my talk today, Shade, it's for your protection. Shade, it's for your protection. Um, We talked about in week one, the simplicity and the supremacy of believing upon Christ. At the Church of Galatia, they were beginning to go into lots of other things. They were adding to the simplicity of Christ. Um, It is, how many know, and hopefully you know this, and if you don't know this, I'm just gonna introduce this thought to you, that is not your goodness that gets you to heaven, it is His goodness. It is the simplicity and supremacy of believing upon that Supreme One, the One, the Son of the living God that actually justifies you to declare righteous. It's a biblical term, but it's also a lawyer's term. To, to, to uh, justify is when a judge says you are declared righteous. And so when, when, when God declared Jesus righteous, He did a substitution, didn't He? He literally declared that one righteous but guilty so that He could declare the guilty righteous. And so by faith in the person of Christ, you and I become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Last week, we talked about the power of seeing, the power of seeing. You see life through a lens, don't you? You're experience, the very fact that you uh, live in America, you see life through a certain lens. I grew up in Australia, I see life in a certain lens. Your colour of skin sometimes, your education, the things that have happened to you, the successes of your life. If you've met someone that's had a lot of hard life and had some bad things happen to them, haven't you noticed that sometimes you're like, hey, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. And then you meet someone else and you're like, how are you? Like, fantastic. Like, whoa. Why it is how they see life. It is their perception. It is their perception whether you can go up to an interview and get the job. It is your perception. When you meet someone, do they like you? And I think too many people walk around like people don't like them instead of just assuming everyone likes you. I think it's a great assumption to actually assume that everyone likes you. And occasionally if you meet someone who doesn't like you, that's their problem. Can we just take that on board as a culture Can we say this together? Everyone likes me. Say it again. Everyone likes me. Someone say, why wouldn't they? Come on, say, why wouldn't they? See, when you start thinking that way and believing that way, you walk up to people you never met and just be friendlier because you assume they like you instead of like, I'm not sure they like me. I'm not sure. If God is for me, who can be against me, right? Just... I want you to grow in the favour of God and man. The favour of God and man. If someone doesn't like you, it's their their bad luck, isn't it? You could have had an amazing friend. You've got a friend in me. I'll sing a couple of numbers for you later. Dr. Rob Carman really is becoming a friend and a mentor, coming preaching our church at the end of October. He said this, you cannot consistently perform in a manner which is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. 
You cannot consistently perform in a manner which is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. That is why the lens of faith That is why the lens of Christ, but not just I'm justified in Christ and He is my Father and He is my God, but I begin to see myself as a son and not just even a son, but even an an heir of God. That favour is for me and I am blessed. Even though right now it may not seem like I'm blessed, you need to start saying that you're blessed because you will not behave in a manner. How many know that smart people just do smart things? How many know dumb people do dumb things? How many know if you just start doing a few different things, you'll become smarter? Come on, am I preaching to anyone? You're like, I always do dumb things with money. Well, stop it. And just go, well, who do I know that is smarter? And let me do what they would do. And all of a sudden, if you do that for a year or two, all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I'm actually not as dumb as I used to be. But I'm getting somewhere. Trying to help some people today. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17, Samuel speaking to Saul said this, although you were once small, watch this now, in your own eyes. How Saul saw himself was small. What's amazing is that he was factually incorrect. He was literally head and shoulders above everyone else. He must have been six, seven, seven foot tall. He is head and shoulders above everyone else. And the Bible says he used to see himself small. He was incorrect. He had a a, a belief problem about his life. But then later he goes from insecure to prideful. And then he becomes large in his own eyes and both of them are incorrect because then he begins to slaughter and he begins to operate in the realm of a priest when he was not meant to operate in the realm of a priest. He was meant to obey the prophet Samuel and he was meant to wait for him. And then all of a sudden he he feels pressure from the crowd. How many felt pressure from the crowd to disobey God? He felt pressure from the crowd to disobey. And then all of a sudden he gets too large in his own eyes and he sacrifices. And then all of a sudden Samuel comes along and removes his kingship. It's interesting that one time he was insecure in his own eyes. Another time he was too big in his own eyes. And both of the times he was wrong. Your belief of yourself is actually very, very important because you see yourself through a lens. We actually see God through a lens, don't we? Watch what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, I wrote it in the Amplified Bible because it just kind of unpacks it a little bit better for us. This is probably my favorite prayer. I've prayed this for our church, the entire life of our church. Ephesians 1.18, he says this, He says, and I pray that the eyes of your heart, someone say the eyes of my heart. He says, the very centre and core of your being may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit so that you will know and cherish. Some versions say, so that you would see God and you would see your calling. And he says this, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We look through our heart. We actually don't see life as it is. We look through it, through our heart. And Paul is praying for Christians that he doesn't just say, hey, I pray that, you, that you, your eyes are open because you're blind. No, they knew Jesus. It, it, it simply meant they need to open more. How many know there's more for you? How many know there's more for you in God? Right? Salvation is a moment, but God wants to continue to take you, continue to grow you, continue that you would know Him. He wants to open your eyes because we see ourselves through the eyes of our heart, but we also see God through the eyes of our heart. 
This is why uh, what we believe is so important. This is why a faith environment is so important. Psalm 19, I'm going to jump back. King David wrote this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It says, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. How many want some wisdom? The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It says the commandment of the Lord is pure. What does it do? It it enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. I want you to see this now. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Hear me again. In keeping them, there is great reward. See, we see God through a lens. We see ourselves through a lens. It's through the shade. But I want to say to you today that there is more than just one shade. I believe this, that God's law is a protection for us. You ever been to the beach and you need some extra shade? Yeah, you're sitting there and someone told you, why don't you put some lotion on? Yeah, I don't need lotion. I tan pretty well. And later you're like, you look like a red lobster. That's happened to me many times. When I was young in Australia, our parents were starting to say, put some lotion on, guys. And as you know, I'm white. This is about as brown as I get, people. This is as good as it gets, okay? So an Australian sun is very hot. And anyway, I remember as a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, a ten-year-old, there were so many summers where we would go to bed like mom and dad put lotion on us. And and, and when you're a kid, how do we know that sunburn affects you differently? Like I remember lying there so many nights just burnt to a crisp. And then my parents were like, you should have listened. You should have listened. What were they doing? They were giving me guidelines and guardrails that would actually protect my life. See, sometimes in a culture of grace, we have a culture of grace in our church. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is accepted. Everyone is always invited, continually, constantly. If you ever think you're not invited, you're wrong. You're invited. If you ever think you were so bad last night, you can't come to church, I want to tell you, you're wrong. You're accepted. You're You're invited. But in a culture of grace, sometimes we somehow throw out God's law to say, no, no, we no longer have to do God's law. And I just want to say to you that this is faulty thinking. It is not right. It is biblical error. It'll actually endanger you because God's grace positions you, but God's law actually is a shade to you. It protects you and me. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. What does the commandments of the Lord do? They actually enlighten the eyes. They help you and I see. So sometimes in our theology and philosophy of the New Testament, we're like, ah, we don't have to obey the Jewish laws. No, we don't obey the ordinances. We don't, there's no sacrificial system. We don't have to do the feast. We, We don't do those things. But actually by the Spirit, we fulfill the law. Romans chapter 8 tells us this. Romans 6 tells us that we actually, by the Spirit, now we are empowered to actually live a moral life. Now, how many thank God for grace? Say yes. 
But how many believe that grace positions me, but then should give me the wisdom to listen to my Father who is trying to protect me? Right? I am under the shade when I am under His law, His standards, His principles. And it's a protection for you individually. It's a protection for your family and is actually a protection for us as a functioning society. God's law is actually a protector. Let me share a a moment that was not perhaps our finest parenting moment. Um, Was it was it Shelley? Which moment? <laughs> Pretty sure it's shell. We just recently fixed our fence and there was, in our backyard, we just had dinner. I went down to my in-laws to pick something up. Uh, Miriam just went inside just for a second, just to throw the plates in the kitchen. She walks outside, Ben's outside. And we're like, where's, where's Rachel? And she's like, oh, she must've walked inside. She goes back inside. She's like, she's not inside. She goes to the backyard again. She's like, where in the world is Rachel? Rachel at this stage is two and a half. Is that right? Right, she's two and a half. And there was a fence attachment from our fence to the next door neighbor's fence that I didn't realize was not nailed in properly. And our little one literally just squeezed around it, bumped open the fence and then walked to where there was a pool. Miriam calls me. And she's like, do you have Rachel? And I'm at my in-laws. And I literally was like, no, what do you mean? The moment I said no, she was like, ah! (laughs) Why? Because she literally was like, I walked out into the house for 30 seconds, came on back. There's nowhere she could have gone. She's like, she is nowhere to be found. I went, I literally was on the phone like, what do you mean? (laughs) Like it was a tense moment. I book on back. By the time I come back to the house, the police have shown up to the house I have run to a friend's of mine's house three doors down. He was from the FBI. He literally came to the door in his underwear. And I was like, bro, other than what you look like right now, can you help me? And I said, is, is Rachel here? He's like, no, she's not here. He said, we don't know where she is. She's gone. And he thankfully got some clothes on and then began to help us. And he started checking pools first. And, and, and we, I ran, one down, ran down the street and up the street. And, and finally, at one point, I go near the backyard and every second it's ticking. And I'm like, my goodness, is this Liam Nielsen moment? Like all of these things are legitimately rushing through my head. And I'm talking now, it is 15 minutes and 15 minutes is a long time without a two and a half year old. We've checked the attic, we've checked the basement, we've checked everywhere. We are starting to like really believe that something absolutely terrible has happened. And then all of a sudden we hear this little noise, dirty, dirty. And she was next door. She crawled under the person's pool and was playing in the mud. I literally jumped this six foot fence, ripped open this thing, grabbed my daughter and was so relieved when I got her. Amen. <laughs> my wife, when she held her, literally, I think she fell to the ground, almost cried. Later, we were just relieved, but for the next probably three days as parents, it was hard to sleep, but we just began to play what was happening in our mind. Let me ask you a question. The fence was for her protection. God's standards are for your protection. He puts standards there, not so that you run into a fence, God puts standards there not so that you run into a fence, so that you are protected within the parameters of what He says is, is where you can flourish greatest as an individual, as a family, and as a country. Yeah. 
Come on, am I speaking to anyone? Now, here's what's important. I, I want to read these out to you. It won't be on the screen, but I want to read the Ten Commandments. And I just want to go through them because sometimes we've thrown them out. And I just believe it's, it's stupid. I guess that, that's the best way I can say it. The first three deal with our relationship with God, how we treat God. The first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. Someone say priority. You shall not make idols. You shall not make an image that is like me, but you are perverting that image. That's law number two. Law number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There is a certain way we talk about the name of Jesus, talk about the name of God. That is a place of worship. It's a place of praise. It's a place of thanks. It should not be a cuss word is really what he's saying. Isn't it interesting that the flesh goes towards that? Isn't it interesting that you watch TV shows and they never say in the name of Buddha? No, they don't, but for some reason, they have an obsession with bringing down the name of Jesus. The fourth one is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Again, they built all these rules and regulations around this and they began to burden people with the Sabbath instead of bless people with the Sabbath. But how many of you know that you need a day off? You need a day off to reflect. You need a day off so that family is a priority. You need a day off so that um, your worship is a priority. Now, obviously the Jews, I was driving through Clifton yesterday and there's a lot of Jewish people around there and they're walking around and they're not, they're not driving anywhere. They just walk everywhere they go. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. There's Jews everywhere. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Why? They honour the Sabbath. That's their day. As a Christian, we said, no, Sunday is kind of our day because that's when Jesus resurrected. That's why the church basically said not Saturday anymore, but Sunday. Because they used to meet Sunday morning. Why? They used to meet at dawn Sunday morning. How many want to start that service? (laughs) Our church generally is a late church. I don't think we'd have too many signing up for the 5 a.m. service. Why did they do 5 a.m.? I think it was to teach discipline. No, it wasn't. It was actually because Jesus rose from the dead early in the morning. Are you with me? Then he says, you shall honour your father and your mother. This is the treatment of your parents, obviously. Number six, you shall not murder. It's funny that God even had to tell us that. You shall not murder. He says you shall not commit adultery. That's the protection of marriage. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false false witness. And you shall not covet. And how many know that you don't want someone stealing from you? You don't want someone lying to you. Why? Because it betrays trust. If you ever had someone really close with you lie to you, what actually happens is it betrayed trust and then you felt like you couldn't trust the person anymore. So what is God saying? He says, tell the truth. Sit in the boundary where honesty is a core value of your life. He says, listen, honor the marriage that there will be no adultery among you. Why? Because it causes such gross dysfunction and harm and, and, and we've got all kinds of people and all kinds of messes often because of that thing. It is God's fence post for us. So, so in Christ, He places us in His identity in Christ. We are righteous, not because of what we do, but who we, who we are in God, right? But then He says, listen, I'm gonna give you some guidelines of how to live a, a healthy, flourishing life that will help you, your family, and your country. And so he places them. And so I want to just suggest again to you today that God's laws are not so that you run into them. 
God's laws are your protection because He's a good Father and He sets up a fence for you so that you would flourish and have fun in the fence. So that you wouldn't run out and drown, so that you wouldn't run out and break relationships, so that you wouldn't run out and do stupid things. Do you believe that? God's commands are not for your punishment, but for your protection. They are also not for, God's commands are a moral fence for your family. Hear me again, God's commands are a compass for a functioning society. Heard someone say to me recently, you cannot, you cannot enforce morals on people politically. And I said, that's absolutely not true because we do it all the time. If someone robs a bank, we don't say, oh, we can't enforce any morals on you. We do it all the time. You know, years ago, I, um, I heard a story that kind of broke my heart. I was in a church from the age of 15, 16, 17. It wasn't probably the greatest church, to be really honest. It didn't, it, 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 it didn't, it felt quite formal. It felt kind of going through the motions sometimes. That's how it felt. And I pray that our church never feels that way. But I remember two moments from the, the preaching of the word there. I remember one time when the pastor used an ice cream as his illustration. He sat there and talked about a broken heart and then he ate a ice cream with chocolate on it and it had a heart on it. I remembered that one. But then the next one he told, he told a story of how in, in Nazi Germany that when the Jews were getting shipped off out of Germany into the concentration camps, he said there was churches and some of the churches and one particular church was sitting by these railroad tracks and they would have worship service on a Sunday morning and they'd be singing hymns, but then the trains would be going by and the problem was the trains would be going by, but there were these Jewish people in them and they were literally screaming for help. So the pastors didn't know what to do and so what they did do was they turned up the hymns. They asked their people to sing louder and sing louder. And it's kind of like, hey, let's sing because then we don't have to avoid it. And then you kind of hear, obviously, don't get involved in politics and don't get involved in morality and don't do those things. And you look back now and six million Jews were killed during that time. And as a, as a, like a mental picture, it is so difficult for us to even imagine that. It is so difficult for us to think about that. But what's interesting and what is so common with whenever that happens is that you always call something something different than what it is. The Germans called the Jewish people at that time, they called them rats. So they pulled down their humanity to an animal level. And they also called them subhuman. This also happened in uh, uh, the nation, uh, the, the continent of Africa in Rwanda. There was a mass genocide at one time and they would call them cockroaches. Isn't it interesting that if you dehumanize something, you then can treat it however you want to. Hear, hear this again. When you call something instead of human or the image of God, you can then do whatever you want to do it because it's a different thing in your mind. What happened in Germany, what happened in Rwanda, what even happens sometimes in racism, I've heard every from black and white to Asian to, to Middle Eastern to South American and so forth, I've heard every I've heard the words that sometimes people use to pull down people's humanity and then treat them differently. 
But what I feel like I just want to say to us today, church, is this, is that why do I bring up the Ten Commandments? Why do I bring this up? It is important for me as a pastor to pastor people, to lead people, to teach people the way of God in its truth, whether you like it or whether you don't. It is important for me as a pastor sometimes to lead you to a place that will challenge you to go, I'm not sure I believe that, but maybe if I'm honest and sincere, I'll keep seeking and ask myself this question, is it true, not just did I agree with it? How many know what I'm talking about? How many know that Jesus, when he was preaching to people, they would come and they were there to not just get their opinion affirmed, but they were to be taught. And I pray today, and I pray across the life of our church, that you are not just here to get your opinion affirmed, but you are there to get taught from God's Word. And even if it challenges you, even if you're like, I don't even like it. You know, there's some parts of the Bible I don't like. I'm like, oh, I'd rather that gone. Have you ever just read part of the Bible and go, oh, can I get my eraser? <laughs> and some people do that. They literally just erase certain things of the Bible. And some things are cultural in the Bible and they're not applicable to every situation. And that's normal. But there's some things that are so clear. And for some reason I have it just, even in worship today, I just have it on my heart. That how do you kill six million Jews because you call them rats. How do you call, how do you kill a nation in Rwanda? How do you kill, like how do you literally wipe out a, a people? Well, you call them cockroaches. How do you kill or how do you justify doing that? Because you have to use hashtags and phrases that say things. And then you just keep saying them. Cockroaches. Cockroaches, cockroaches, rats, rats, rats. Keep saying rats, rats. They're just, they're subhuman. They're less subhuman. They're less. You'd be amazed what you and I would believe if we just keep on hearing it. And here's what I have in my heart. That as I heard about the pastors of the churches that would sing their songs louder as the Jews would go by and you look back like a hundred years, 90 years now since, 80 years since World War II, you look back and you go, pastors, how could you do that? You just sung louder. You didn't talk about it. And it's easy to be on the right side of history when you look back, isn't it? 2020 vision. It's easy to look at your life backwards and go, oh, I would do different. Isn't it easy to kind of go, I would do different? If I had a billion dollars, I'd be the most generous person you'll ever meet. You can't give away a dollar now. <laughs> if I was wealthier, I would. Do you know that sometimes you get wealthier, it gets heavier in your pocket? Because if you can't give away one dollar out of ten, actually a thousand out of ten thousand gets a lot heavier. A hundred thousand out of a million, a hundred thousand, what are they going to do with a hundred thousand? It's not about the hundred thousand, it's about the honor factor. Let me say this. This is, this is kind of what I have on my heart when it comes to this message. God's standard is His protection. God's standard protects people. It protects the image of God in people. God's mora morality protects people. To not lie, to not steal, to not 
do those things, it, it protects the image and the likeness of God. But let me say this, you shall not murder. And me as a pastor, I can't, I can't be on the wrong side of history and not speak up about abortion throughout our country. I can't. Listen, and I say that with the most love and grace and compassion for anyone who's had one. Listen, there's no one who can forgive you like Jesus. But I'll say this, there's no one who can heal you like Jesus. There's no one that can restore you like Jesus. And if you, and, and I just can't be on the wrong side of history. Because here's what's happened since Roe vs. Wade, 1967, I think it was, 63 million. 63 million babies were ended. And here's why. Because we didn't call them babies, we called them fetuses. And me as a pastor, I can't be on the wrong side of history. I can't be one who, who gets scared of people's opinions when it comes to that. I feel like God has continually burdened me and, 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 and I'm surprised how often it comes to my heart. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to talk about this. But it just keeps putting it on my heart like you have to. I, I talked to a beautiful young girl a couple of years ago. I was at an event. She said, hey, I want to tell you that I, can, I came to a youth event on a Friday night. She said, I was having an abortion the very next day. She said, you spoke about God's purpose and God's plan for your life. She said, I was booked for it. And then the next day, I canceled it because of God really speaking to me. So whenever I see that little girl, she's this beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed, three-year-old little girl, I get tears in my eyes because I recognize that preaching moment mattered. God's commands are not for your punishment, they are for your protection. But here's the thing, if you've strayed from God's commands, that's why His Son offers you and me mercy. Every single one of us, and I don't say it self-righteously, every single one of us is in great need of God's great mercy. Every single one of us needs the great mercy of God. But God's protection, God's morals, they are unchangeable in a changing world. Come on, bow your head with me. Close your eyes. Father, I thank You for Your people right now. I thank You that this Word, I pray that it heals. I pray that it enlightens. I pray for men and women all across this place, every single one of them. I pray in Jesus' Name that Your Holy Spirit of healing and grace, I pray for those dealing with all kinds of different issues of the soul, Lord, that there's been such woundedness from growing up and such woundedness from so many different things. I pray for them today that You would heal and restore and bring breakthrough to their souls. I pray for them today that You would do miracles in their life. I pray, Lord, that this Word would hit where it needs to, that it would raise a standard, that it would raise a call, Lord, to people. But I pray that it would minister with grace and truth and peace, Father. I ask it in Jesus' name. As eyes are closed, if you're watching online, as eyes are closed right now. Maybe you've never said yes to Christ. The 
Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Christ takes away condemnation. Christ takes away shame. He takes away guilt. He forgives. You're not having to clean yourself up. No, you're bringing Him your heart, both the brokenness many times of our heart. The Bible says in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The good news is Jesus has already died for you. He's already risen from the dead. He offers you and me eternal life. But then it goes on to say, to heal the brokenhearted, And I found this so many times that sometimes when we run from God and and rebel from God, it's the brokenheartedness that we need Jesus to heal. So I wanna pray for you today. I wanna pray for every person watching, every person within this auditorium. Maybe you've never accepted Christ or you know you're far away from Christ. I wanna pray for you today that you would respond to Him, that salvation would come into your life today, that you would be called a child of the living God. Come on, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my faith in you. I turn to you. Thank you for loving me. I need your grace. Help me know you. Help me walk with you. Help me become who you created me to become. In Jesus' name I pray. While eyes are closed, if you meant business with God, you say, I'm coming back to God or I'm receiving Him for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, raise it up high all across this place. One, two, three, raise your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else today? Raise it high, raise it high, just long enough for me to see it coming back to Christ or receiving Him for the very first time. Christians are praying right now in this moment that people's hearts would be soft to God. If you're receiving Christ right now, Raise your hand, raise it up. Thank you. That's awesome today, sweetheart. Anyone else today? Just want to wait one moment longer. Those online, man, just in your own heart right now. Thank you, sweetheart. That's awesome today. That's awesome. God bless you. You can put your hand down. That's awesome. Father, I thank you for every hand, those online, every heart in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, for healing in the soul, healing across, Lord, our church, healing where there's been pain, healing where there's been bruises, healing where there's been, Lord, enmity, healing where there's been, Lord, just injustice, healing across, Lord, the life of your beautiful people. Father, bless your people now in Jesus' name. Come on, if you receive God's Word, would you give me a hand? Come on, yeah. Such a good word this morning.